Due to the sensitive nature of today's material, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of sexual innuendos. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. Seriously, another ad for camping gear? This is starting to get ridiculous. Taking some time off to uh, explore the great outdoors? No, but the strangest thing started happening last week. My friend and I were saying it's been years since we've been camping and how we wanted to go again. We only chatted about it for a few minutes. Ever since, my social media accounts are spamming me with everything from tents to backpacks to walking sticks and I never even typed a word of it into a search bar. That sounds about right. I'm afraid to ask you of all people, Carter, but do you think our devices are listening to us? I can't say, but what I do know for sure is this. Advertisers have discovered many ways to figure out exactly what we want. What's more terrifying, they seem to have found ways to slip it into our subconscious without us ever knowing they were there. Welcome to Conspiracy Theories, a Spotify original from Parcast. Every Monday and Wednesday, we dig into the complicated stories behind the world's most controversial events and search for the truth. I'm Carter Roy. And I'm Molly Brandenburg. And neither of us are conspiracy theorists. But we are open-minded, skeptical, and curious. Don't get us wrong. Sometimes the official version is the truth. But sometimes it's not. You can find episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Today, we're talking about the dark side of advertising. In the mid-20th century, Corporations tried several techniques, from planting imperceivable phrases in their ads to perceived sexual artwork on their packaging, just to get consumers to buy their products. While some of those experiments failed, others paved the way for new marketing techniques used today, like big data collection. First, we'll cover the history of shady marketing ploys, like subliminal advertising. Then, we'll explore two theories about modern-day methods, like the idea that brands use our secrets to target and discriminate against us. And are our devices listening to our private conversations to spam us with more goods? We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Bottling everything up can be really bad for you in the long run and have some terrible consequences. And this isn't a conspiracy theory. The more you let things build up, the more of a toll it can take on your mental health. I know for me, in dealing with some traumatic events in my life, I had the tendency to think, well, they've already happened. I'm okay. Other people have it worse. It doesn't matter much. And through therapy, was really able to understand how those events impacted me and changed how I'd started to see the world in ways that weren't great and were sometimes making my life worse. So therapy or dealing with any traumatic events you've had might really help you in terms of how you can live in the present moment now. 
So if you want to give therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. It's entirely online, convenient, and flexible. It's also really easy to get started. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com conspiracy today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash conspiracy. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, It was September 1957. To escape the heat, moviegoers piled into a midday screening at a theater in Fort Lee, New Jersey. That day's feature was a romantic comedy called Picnic, starring Kim Novak and William Holden. As the film rolled, more and more people left their seats. Those who weren't hungry when they entered suddenly couldn't resist the urge to snag an ice-cold Coca-Cola or a tub of hot, buttered popcorn. There was a strange and unpredictable uptick in sales that not even the theater's manager could explain. But market researcher James Vickery could. Days later, Vickery announced in a press release that he developed a secret weapon, one that would propel him to fame and change the advertising world forever. He claimed to run an experiment across movie theaters over the last six weeks to a crowd of 45,000 audience members. During each screening, he flashed messages like, drink Coca-Cola and eat popcorn once every five seconds. And no one outside of his colleagues had any idea. The frames moved so fast, one three-thousandth of a second fast, that the messages were imperceptible to the audience members. But according to Vickery, they increased soda sales by 18% and popcorn sales by more than 57%. Vickery called it the invisible commercial. He claimed this was the future of advertising. No one would ever have to watch a full-length pesky ad again. Instead, the messages would be sent directly to a consumer's subconscious. Let's just say Vickery's little experiment was uh, not well-received. When journalist Norman Cousins reported on it in the Saturday Review that October, he followed it up with, quote, Welcome to 1984. For those not familiar, this was a reference to George Orwell's dystopian novel about a totalitarian government force. 
Well, keep in mind, it was the height of the Cold War. America was quietly engaging in a battle against the Soviets. Many feared the USSR was infiltrating the American government, stealing their technologies, or worse, trying to brainwash them. This coincided with another major cultural shift, the welcoming of television sets into the home. After World War II, many American families splurged on new consumer goods, like TVs, and they had no problem watching those 30-second colorful ads that interrupted their regular programming. At the time, commercials were part of the magic. Products even came with celebrity endorsements. Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz posed with Philip Morris cigarettes. Animated figures like the Jolly Green Giant convinced kids that vegetables were cool. Advertisements were something you tuned in for. And Vickery's experiment proved this could be weaponized against the average American. The invisible commercial dilemma was made worse by the release of author Vance Packard's book, The Hidden Persuaders, later that year. Aside from referencing Vickery's, quote, very dangerous movie theater experiment, Packard spoke about the secret powers of other morally corrupt advertisers, and he exposed a lot of their techniques. The book talked about product placement and officially named the concept of planting products in a consumer's subconscious mind. Packard dubbed it subliminal advertising. He also talked about measurable physiological responses, uh, things like pupil dilation, changes in voice pitch and body language that could ostensibly track a client's satisfaction with a product and then be used against them. In 1958, the Advertising Research Foundation, or ARF, tried to subdue paranoia over these morally corrupt admin. They issued a report claiming, quote, the evidence is insufficient to draw any conclusions about the merits or even the possibility of subliminal advertising. According to them, it was all fiction. To prove this was the case, members of the ARF reached out to Vickery for a closer look at his results. But by this point, Vickery had become a social pariah. He'd received so much hate from his experiment that he had to change his phone number and avoid public appearances. He was afraid for his life and didn't want to step back into the court of public opinion. Needless to say, Vickery refused countless requests to share his findings with ARF. And he declined all opportunities to repeat the experiment. That is, until 1962, when he made a shocking confession. He'd faked the whole thing. That's right. Vickery admitted the 1957 theater experiments never happened. His advertising business was floundering, and they needed something that would put them back on the map. With that, you'd think the whole subliminal advertising debate would be put to bed. But really, that was just the beginning. Yeah. In 1973, author Wilson Brian Key approached the subject from a new angle with the release of his book, Subliminal Seduction. The book sold over 2.5 million copies thanks to some scandalous allegations. Well, basically, it suggested the advertising industry had taken the adage, sex sells, to a whole new level. 
Key proposed that some brands use manipulative tactics that forced us to associate their products with our deepest desires. So if we purchased those products, we too would become richer, more powerful, and of course, sexier. Subliminal seduction argued that advertisers embedded images of body parts, placed objects in provocative positions, and snuck the word sex into many of their posters and commercials. And while these might not have been glaringly obvious to the consumer, they were to their subconscious. In his book, Wilson Brian Key pointed to a few different examples where he believed this to be true including one in 1971 when a London gin company called Gilby's created a stir after their ad graced the cover of Time magazine. At first glance, the image looked benign. A tall, clear glass filled with frosted ice cubes, gin, and a healthy green lime wedge. But if you looked closely, many believed the letters S-E-X appeared etched in the ice cubes. From what we could find, it doesn't appear Gilby's commented on the matter, but they weren't the only ones suspected of implementing this technique. An Australian Coca-Cola campaign in the 1980s showed an illustrated bottle with the tagline, Feel the Curves. Well, if that didn't sound sexual enough, hidden in the ice cubes was a uh, suggestive image of what many believe to resemble a woman performing oral sex. After word of the provocative ad went public, Coca-Cola pulled the campaign and fired the artist, claiming it had been done without their knowledge. At the time, Mike Baskell, the president of Coca-Cola's Australian marketing branch, said the artist was, quote, quite irresponsible and not amusing. Their Sydney-based corporate affairs manager, Ian Brown, insisted the company was a victim of the artist's joke. Well, speaking of sugary products, Skittles is a product that's been known for its weird and sometimes disturbing ads. A line of the candies branded as Berry Explosion got a cheeky tweak in some of their packaging. Look closely on the bag and you'll notice one Skittle marked with an S right in front of the X in Explosion. The company never commented on it and there's no evidence this was an example of subliminal advertising. In fact, there's been plenty of pushback against the ideas behind subliminal seduction. The president of the American Association of Advertising Agencies, John O'Toole, said in a 1985 statement, it's demeaning to assume that the human mind is so easily controlled that anyone can be made to act against his will or better judgment. Even more absurd is the theory proposed by Wilson Brian Key in a sleazy book entitled Subliminal Seduction. From whatever dark motivations, Key finds sexual symbolism in every ad and commercial. But subliminal advertising wasn't exclusively linked to sex. It seemed advertisers used the technique to get away with advertising where they shouldn't have been. Up until the late 90s, Formula One drivers were allowed to advertise cigarettes on their race cars. But as more dangers about cigarettes came to light, the sport increased restrictions on where and how they could advertise. 
So Marlboro got crafty. In 2010, they created a unique design that, when the vehicle was stopped, looked like an innocuous barcode. But when the car was speeding around the track, that barcode blurred, resembling Marlboro's classic red and white packaging. Eventually, the European Public Health Commission caught on and banned the design completely. Marlboro's parent company, Philip Morris, believed they were still following the rules. They claimed, quote, the Formula One Grand Prix in the UK does not involve any race cars, team apparel, equipment, or track signage carrying tobacco product branding. The same is true for all other Formula One races across the world. This shows brands were on the lookout for innovative ways to target consumers without ever using the title of their product itself. But subliminal messages weren't just for peddling goods. It's allegedly been used to steer audiences away from political candidates as well. During the 2000 presidential election, George W. Bush's campaign launched a smear ad against his opponent, Al Gore. Seconds before the commercial ended, the word rats flashed across the screen, followed by bureaucrats decide. The New York Times noticed the frames and brought them to the public's attention. The Bush campaign said it was purely accidental and pulled the ad for good measure. But it was a little late. The conspiracies were already circulating. After so many alleged instances of subliminal advertising, the idea that companies might stoop to such techniques is now almost taken for granted. The real question is, does it actually work? Coming up, how one company targeted a pregnant teen. I'm Darnell Ishmael, guest host of Bass Reeves, No Master But Duty, the special four-part miniseries from Solved Murders. I am honored to take you on a journey deep into the Old West to meet one of the greatest true crime heroes you may have never known existed, Bass Reeves. No Master But Duty reveals the true story of a formerly enslaved man who went on to become one of the most legendary U.S. Deputy Marshals in the American West, bringing justice to over 3,000 criminals. Follow Solved Murders and catch all four episodes of Bass Reeves' No Master But Duty. Listen for free, only on Spotify. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Now, back to the story. As early as the 1950s, brands have been looking for innovative ways to get inside the consumer's head, and subliminal advertising was said to be one of them. What many consumers and scientists wondered, though, was whether or not it was truly effective. 
In 2002, researchers at Princeton University sought answers to that exact question. As part of a study, they edited 12 quick flashes of the word thirsty and a Coca-Cola can into a Simpsons episode. They played it for one group of subjects while another group watched the unedited episode. Those who watched the edited tape claimed they were about 27% thirstier than the control group. But that still wasn't enough for scientists to claim subliminal advertising actually worked. In 2006, a team of experimental psychologists out of the University of Utrecht declared they had made subliminal advertising work under laboratory conditions. Except they found it was only effective when a consumer was familiar with the brand and liked it already. Scientists have also found that our brains give off a measurable response when perceiving subliminal advertisements. But they claim there's no proof the reaction has a long-lasting effect, which is what advertisers hope to achieve. So, even if brands relied on subliminal messaging at one time or another, it's likely many of them gave up on those methods after these studies were released. By the 21st century, companies needed new ways to entice consumers. And with the invention of the internet and social media, it became a lot easier to figure out exactly what people wanted. This brings us to our first conspiracy theory. Modern brands are now using our personal information and our secrets to target us directly. It sounds dystopian, but it all stems from a concept we're hearing a lot about, especially as the internet permeates every facet of our lives. It's called Big Data. Collecting information about the average citizen is nothing new. Birth and census records have been around for centuries. But as we shift toward digital platforms, the ways we collect data have been multiplying at rapid speeds. So what even is big data? Well, it's information gathered and analyzed by your computer and internet traffic. A collection of details, including your online activity, search terms, and location, which businesses can then use to figure out a lot about you. Like where you live and who you associate with, your likes and your dislikes, how you spend your money, where you spend your money, even your race and sexual orientation. And it gets scary when you look at the ways businesses can put that information to use. Sometime around 2003, outside the city of Minneapolis, one angry customer stormed into his local Target. In his hand was a book of coupons. He waved it at the manager, insisting the advertisements had been addressed to his teenage daughter. He said, quote, My daughter's still in high school, and you're sending her coupons for diapers and cribs? He believed Target was encouraging his daughter to get pregnant. The manager was at a loss. He wasn't the one who'd sent the coupons. He figured it must have been a huge mistake. Several days later, the customer called the store to apologize. Likely after sharing his little outburst with the rest of the family, his daughter revealed she was pregnant. Target knew before her father did. While some sources argue this is an urban legend, the timing adds up. 
Because about a year before the anecdote began circulating, Target added a new statistician to their team, a man named Andrew Pohl. Pohl told New York Times Magazine that shortly after he was onboarded in 2002, some colleagues from the marketing division popped by his desk. They sought new ways to identify consumers and had a question for him. If we wanted to find out if a customer was pregnant, would you be able to help us with that? Pohl knew it was hard to change a customer's shopping habits and patterns, but if there was a giant, life-altering event happening, like, say, a little addition to the family, routines fell apart. People were more likely to change where they shopped. In this case, the marketing department didn't want to wait for the baby to be born to start collecting their cash. If they could figure out if a woman was pregnant before any of their competitors, it would give them a leg up and a higher chance of gaining a new customer's loyalty for years to come. So, Paul began combing through heaps of information already gathered on target customers, looking for clues that might suggest a woman was pregnant. He found women in their second trimester often increased their vitamin purchases and upped their use of unscented lotions and soap. All in all, Paul found 25 products that pointed to pregnancy. He could even guess a woman's due date by when and how many of these items she purchased. Pregnant women weren't the only ones falling for Target's strategy. According to New York Times reporter Charles Duhigg, the company had been deploying similar techniques for decades. They assigned every shopper a guest ID number to keep track of what they bought. And what you buy apparently reveals a lot about you. Like whether or not you're married, have children, your approximate salary, and what credit cards you use. Problem was, Target realized some of their tactics were coming off a bit creepy. If people suspected they were being sent specific ads for a reason, they might be more skeptical of the product or retailer. This meant they had to get more creative when pitching their customers new products. So they started mixing up ads and coupons so that they seemed more innocuous. Now, a new stroller would be advertised next to a lawnmower. And it worked. Suddenly, more women used the coupons because they didn't think they were being targeted. For the record, this behind-the-scenes look at Target's marketing strategy comes from Andrew Pohl, who, according to LinkedIn, left the company in 2018. When New York Times journalist Charles Duhigg tried to speak with Target directly, their representatives declined an interview. Duhigg claims he then sent over everything he uncovered in his reporting, to which Target responded, quote, Almost all of your statements contain inaccurate information, and publishing them would be misleading to the public. We do not intend to address each statement point by point. They added that Target, quote, is in compliance with all federal and state laws, including those related to protected health information. But that's the thing. If what Paul is saying is true, these actions are legal, at least in the U.S., Currently, there's no federal law offering blanket protection from data collection. 
In most states, companies are allowed to use, sell, and share your data without alerting you. Even scarier, the user often doesn't understand what they're opting into when they accept permissions on sites like Facebook, Twitter, or Google. No, we've all been there before. You're looking for a new pair of shoes or headphones, or in my case, I was looking for a weighted blanket the other day as a birthday gift, and now I'm getting a weighted blanket on every single one of my sites. It doesn't matter if you've already pulled the trigger on the purchase. Suddenly, you're seeing ads for these products on almost every website you visit. These stalker ads will follow you everywhere, making most of us feel watched. At least 68% of us do, according to a 2012 survey by Pew Research Center. That other 32% might be thinking, so what if these companies know what I want to buy? But there's another side to this issue that could potentially change their mind. If companies can see our product search history, it means they can access other information too. Things related to our political preferences, any health issues or financial problems we may be having, even our sexual interests. A Harvard professor of government and technology named Latanya Sweeney was interviewed about the subject by the Harvard Gazette in 2013. When talking about why access to this information was so problematic, she said, quote, at the end of the day, online advertising is about discrimination. Here's an example. In one study, Sweeney found when someone searched for a name that may relate to the black community, that person was 25% more likely to be targeted with suggestive, even offensive ads. Things like how to find or clear an arrest record was just one of the banners that popped up. And these were for users that had no history of a criminal offense. A senior associate at Georgetown Law named Claire Garvey pointed out how dangerous this could become. She told Harvard Business Review in 2020, quote, If you make a technology that can classify people by an ethnicity, someone will use it to repress that ethnicity. She believes the same logic can be applied to health status, location, sexual orientation, and even driving skills. If you've been in a car accident, chances are big data has found a way to identify you if you've searched for accident reports, car rentals, or automotive repair shops. Researchers have found insurance companies then use that information to decide whether they should increase your premiums. In 2009, a shopper named Kevin Johnson told Good Morning America that he experienced consumer discrimination firsthand. Johnson claimed he was always responsible with his finances. He was a property and business owner and was given a high line of credit when he opened his American Express credit card. One afternoon, Johnson returned home to an unsettling letter from American Express. They were lowering his line of credit from $10,000 to $3,000. The reason stated was, quote, Other customers who have used their card at establishments where you recently shopped have a poor repayment history with American Express. You heard right. Johnson's credit line was reduced because other people who shopped where he did had a hard time paying off their debt. American Express never admitted to any wrongful discrimination. 
When Good Morning America asked American Express for comment on Johnson's case, they issued the following statement, quote, Our intent is to strike the right balance between accommodating our card members' spending needs and, at the same time, prudently managing credit risk. It's no secret that Facebook's parent company, Meta, allows businesses like Amex to use the data they collect, and not just to sell products. In 2018, Facebook was actually caught up in a scandal that peddled political candidates. That year, Cambridge Analytica, a data collection firm with ties to the Trump administration, was allegedly given access to 87 million users by a Facebook app developer. Allegedly, that data was then used to persuade members to vote for Trump in the 2016 election, primarily through smear ads against his opponent, Hillary Clinton. Mark Zuckerberg was vetted at a series of congressional hearings. A class action lawsuit was then brought against Meta, Facebook's corporate parent, claiming the company acted more as a data broker and surveillance firm than a social media platform. By 2019, the Federal Trade Commission had imposed a three to $5 billion fine on Zuckerberg's company. Prosecutors said, quote, the allegations represented one of the worst examples of privacy abuse in the age of social media. That's when it was revealed that Facebook had shared its data with other companies before obtaining express consent from its users, which is arguably a huge problem. If websites are going to collect our information to be repurposed for advertising or political campaigns, well, the least they can do is be transparent about it and allow us to opt out easily. It does seem brands are using our personal information to target and discriminate against us. However, Facebook claims this isn't a secret. They share substantial details about their big data collection on their website and claim users can manage their information in the Settings tab. They also say they don't sell users' data. Instead, partners and brands pay them to show personalized ads. Still, they've admitted to providing demographic information to help companies understand Facebook's audiences better. So this sounds like a semantic argument to me. I'm not sure this theory requires a lot of debunking. Brands are using our data to target us, no doubt. The worst part is, it's legal. But some people believe companies are taking it a step further, that we don't even have to type into a search bar or swipe our credit cards for corporations to gather our information. All it takes is an intimate conversation within earshot of a device to get us to buy what they want. Coming up is Instagram listening. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. 
Is crypto perfect? Nope. But neither was email when it was invented in 1972. And yet today, we send 347 billion emails every single day. Crypto is no different. It's new, but like email, it's also revolutionary. With Kraken, it's easy to start your crypto journey with 24-7 support when you need it. Go to Kraken.com and see what crypto can be. Not investment advice. Crypto trading involves risk of loss. Cryptocurrency services are provided to U.S. and U.S. territory customers by Payward Ventures Inc. PDI DBA Kraken. Visit PDI's disclosures at Kraken.com slash legal slash disclosures. Now, back to the story. It's no secret that websites are keeping tabs on our internet habits, but it's become more concerning as brands find ways to manipulate big data against us. Many users feel like this kind of advertising has crossed a line and their privacy is at stake. Vox journalist Caitlin Tiffany was one of these people. In 2015, she and a friend were wandering through Brooklyn when they stopped at a bodega. They had a wide selection of beers neither Caitlin nor her friend had heard of before. After chatting about some of the catchy names on the cans, they went with a familiar brand, then returned to Caitlin's apartment. Later that evening, Caitlin's friend nearly fell out of her chair. While scrolling on Instagram, she'd come across an advertisement for one of those unknown beers she'd just learned about hours before. And this brings us to our second conspiracy theory. One most Instagram users have wondered about at some point or another. Are our devices listening to us? If the answer is yes, we're making it pretty easy. From smart homes to smart watches, fitness trackers, drones, and even toys that connect to the internet, technology capable of spying on us is everywhere. Voice assistants alone jumped in popularity as Alexa and Siri became a bigger part of our lives. In 2020, a research company called eMarketer found 128 million people in the U.S. use a voice assistant at least once a month, meaning companies like Google and Apple have the capability of listening to almost half of the U.S. population's private chats. The question is, are they? Let's get this out of the way. Using your microphone without your permission is illegal. End of story. Facebook itself admitted the only way they can use your mic is if you're using the feature to record video or audio. So these companies would have a lot to lose if they were tuning into our private shopping trips or bedroom conversations. As for your voice assistants, well, they have a little bit more wiggle room. They actually can tune in and record your conversations, but only if you say a trigger phrase. If you don't call on them, there's no listening. And since Instagram and Facebook don't have trigger words like this, they claim there's no way for them to listen in and catalog your discussions. In fact, when the theory first surfaced in 2016, Facebook publicly said, quote, Facebook does not use your phone's microphone to inform ads or to change what you see in newsfeed. Some recent articles have suggested that we must be listening to people's conversations in order to show them relevant ads. This is not true. We show ads based on people's interests and other profile information, not what you're talking out loud about. 
But that doesn't mean other companies haven't been accused of abusing the voice command privilege. In the fall of 2021, a lawsuit was brought against Apple after users claimed Siri had turned on unprompted and recorded their conversations. Those messages were then allegedly sent to third parties, which violated the user's privacy rights. As of this recording, the negotiations surrounding the lawsuit were still ongoing. Amazon found themselves in a similar class action lawsuit in 2021 when Alexa was said to have turned on without her trigger word and recorded private chats. As of November 2022, that case was still moving forward in courts as well. In Amazon's defense, a spokeswoman named Faith Aishan claimed the recordings were only intended to be used for improving the device and how it helped with tasks. She claimed only a very small fraction of those recordings were reviewed and users could opt out of this process. So to be clear, these companies may have the capabilities to listen and record our conversations, but they deny using them for advertising. Oh, but come on, how do we explain why we're seeing ads for things we've only talked about once? In a 2019 interview for CBS This Morning, co-host Gail King asked the head of Instagram, Adam Mosseri, that exact question. She claimed, on more than one occasion, she was having a private conversation with a friend and without ever searching online, was targeted with an advertisement for a place or product. When she asked Masseri why, do you know what he said at first? Dumb luck, a response Gail King herself scoffed at. Well, he offered a few other possibilities. He said, maybe the product or service was bubbling up in your subconscious and suddenly was top of mind without you realizing it. Then he asked Gail if she'd been searching for the product on other websites that might be linked to Facebook's advertising. Gail said no, she still wasn't buying it. That might be because the answer was far too complex for Mosseri to distill it into a 20-minute interview, and it lies in something called the algorithm. In the world of social media, algorithms are the holy grail. Each platform has its own formula that curates the content you see from a series of very complicated math problems involving how long you linger on a post, what you click, where you comment, who you follow, and so forth. Long story short, social media algorithms know us better than we know ourselves. But there's another reason why it might seem like Instagram is spying, and it's because of your location. Even if you aren't signed into Instagram or Facebook, these apps know where you are at any given time. They also know whose phone you're close to and who you associate with regularly. So, if a coworker tells you they went to a new restaurant and you start seeing ads for it, it's not because Instagram was eavesdropping. Instead, it may be because your colleague made an online reservation there. And since your phones were close, it thinks you might be interested in trying the place too. Which again, isn't illegal. We give apps like Facebook and Instagram permission to track our locations when we sign up for the service. Chances are you'll see fewer of these coincidences if you were to opt out. 
Another possibility is it's all in our heads. Debunkers of this Instagram is listening theory point to the Bader-Meinhof phenomenon. Sometimes referred to as the frequency illusion, this occurs when something you've noticed for the first time suddenly seems to pop up everywhere you look. This might have been the case with journalist Caitlin Tiffany and her friend. Once they saw this new beer brand, it popped up on their feeds because they simply liked beer, and the new brand is actually more prominent than they once believed. Caitlin herself admits there are a million reasons why they might have seen ads for the beer. Well, perhaps there are other people in her neighborhood and her demographic who bought it. Plus, she'd signed up for a club card at that same grocery store six months prior, which could have used her data to target her or her friend through social media. The whole thing seems even more unlikely when you hear from former Facebook engineer Antonio Garcia Martinez. He supported Meta when he told Reply All hosts Alex Goldman and PJ Vote, there's no reason for the company to be listening to you just for the sake of advertising. The risk is greater than the reward. He says collecting and storing all that audio would be a massive, expensive task. Plus, our conversations are so saturated in innuendo and sarcasm, it would be really difficult to discern who actually cares about a product and who is just making a joke about it. After hearing all of this, I think we can both agree our devices probably aren't snooping on our private conversations. Uh, probably not, but based on several of the class action lawsuits against these companies, well, it's not because they can't. Big corporations are notoriously good at finding loopholes in their privacy terms and agreements. I mean, I never even read the fine print when I sign up for an app. This is why some people argue we need more laws to protect us from big data collection. And the United States is starting to make some headway in that area. In July 2022, lawmakers proposed an updated version of the American Data Privacy and Protection Act. The bill would focus on data minimization, uh, meaning you can only collect information for reasons like preventing fraud and authenticating users, measures that would protect the consumer. It would prohibit matching your shopping history with other activities on the web and put an end to showing you ads for things you weren't looking for. It also stops sites like Facebook from putting trackers on other pages and then advertising those goods for you on their platform. If passed, the bill would also ask the Federal Trade Commission to make a transparent and generalized opt-out button so users can decline further advertising methods. So, Carter, social media might be part of the reason we're spending so much of our hard-earned cash on things we don't need. But you have to admit, we're not doing much to stop it. And as long as there's a consumer, there will be advertising. Yep. So then are we doomed to repeat this cycle of buying and spending forever? Will there come a time when we say enough is enough, I have all I need? Well, I'll certainly be asking that next time I click on an Instagram ad. Sometimes I don't even realize I'm putting something in my cart until it shows up on my doorstep days later. Exactly. It does make you think. If they can influence what we buy without us even realizing it, 
What else are these big corporations controlling? Thanks for tuning in to Conspiracy Theories. You can find all episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. We'll be back next time with a new episode. Until then, remember, the truth isn't always the best story. And the official story isn't always the truth. Conspiracy Theories is a Spotify original from ParCast, executive produced by Max Cutler. Our head of programming is Julian Boireau. Our supervising sound designer is Russell Nash. With Nick Johnson as our head of production and quality control by Lisa Marie Gallegos. Ryan O'Leary-Jones is our supervising editor and Derek Jennings is our writing lead. This episode of Conspiracy Theories was written by Lori Marinelli, edited by Wendelin Sobroso and Andrew Kelleher, fact-checked by Haley Milliken, researched by Sapphire Williams, Produced by Aaron Larson, with sound design by Anthony Valsic. Our hosts are Molly Brandenburg and me, Carter Roy. I'm Darnell Ishmael. This February on Solved Murders, join me for a four part miniseries on the incredible life and career of Bass Reeves, one of the preeminent U.S. deputy marshals in the American West. In Bass Reeves, No Master But Duty, discover how a man born into slavery took freedom by force and brought over 3,000 criminals to justice, including his own son. Follow Solved Murders and catch all four episodes of Bass Reeves, No Master But Duty. Listen for free, only on Spotify.